I invite you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. If you need a Bible open or on and turned over or scrolled down to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, where we will be reading together here in just a few moments. It is good to be with you. I have missed you this past week. It's been a, a busy past week for me. I was on the north side of Columbus, Ohio. We used to live on the east side, and so in many ways it was very familiar territory, but I had never been able to preach for the congregation there on Park Road on the north side of Columbus. And uh, it was a long week, drove back late, late Friday night, but it is very good to be back with you this morning. One of the most encouraging things about this past week was hearing from a variety of people about our work here. I told Roger this morning I met uh, probably half a dozen jumpstart readers. My favorite was uh, this past Sunday, one of those readers said, uh, I've never met Roger, but just based on uh, reading, he must be a hoot to work with. <laughs> and I think I might have said, well, he's a hoot and a half to work with, but uh, in, in the best way possible. They are encouraged by him from a distance, and it, it was especially encouraging to hear. It's a smaller group. They're not blessed with a lot of the the resources. They, they don't necessarily have uh, some of the know-how that our, our church family is just tremendously blessed with and had no idea, but I had person after person literally throughout the week personally share that uh, in the difficult months of 2020, they prayed right along with some of you as you led prayers, and those were broadcasted across the internet. They got to hear sermons. They observed the Lord's Supper and were, were led in their reflections of the Lord's Supper by you. How humbling, amazing that even if you were in this room and singing and our crowds may not have been as large as they were, let's say, in January or February of 2020, there were people that we've never even met who were blessed by the good work that is going on here. And I want you to know that you are a part of that work. You make that work possible. Sometimes we have no idea just how far that good work is stretching. And so thank you for being a blessing, not just to me and to each other, but to people far and wide. If your Bible is open there to Matthew chapter 16, we have been reading recently, if you're following along with us in our daily Bible reading schedule, if you haven't, I'd certainly encourage you to look at the inside of that bulletin that you have this morning and start reading along with us. We recently passed through Matthew 16, and I'd like to read a little bit of that with you beginning in verse 13, where Matthew records for us that when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. It's a great moment, but immediately after that moment, there is a pivotal shift in what Matthew is recording for us, a a great shift in the way that Jesus is talking to and preparing his disciples. Matthew tells us in verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter, the the very one who just had this really encouraging moment with the Lord, it is Peter who takes Jesus aside and begins To rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Let's just pause there for a moment. Keep your Bible open there. I want you to imagine with me this morning that you have the opportunity to raise your hand right there in in this situation and you've heard lots of profound things that maybe you would like to know a little bit more about. But you raise your hand and, and you say, excuse me Jesus, I this, the things of man versus the things of God. I'm not sure I know what you mean by that. Could you elaborate a little bit more about that and and help us to understand the difference? Jesus has spent a few years at this point in many ways talking about the things of man versus the things of God. But now it's just put right out here in the forefront. We've got a a great confession. You're the anointed one by God. The one that our people, the children of Israel, have been so anxiously waiting for. We believe you are the long-awaited heir of David. The 
the king that God promised, and even more the king. You're the son of God. But what are you talking about going to Jerusalem to suffer and to be killed? For be it from you that you would so willingly lay your life down. And Jesus sharply rebukes his apostle says, get behind me. Right now, you are serving as more of an adversary than an ally because your mind is set on the things of man rather than the things of God. And maybe we followed him up to that last statement, but we're not really sure. So we raise our hand and, and we ask for a little bit of clarification. And I would suggest to you that it is remarkable this morning, something worth slowing down and really paying attention to whomever you are, because we don't have to speculate as to how Jesus would clarify. He's provided it for us. And I'd really encourage you to read the next few verses over the course of the next few minutes with me with fresh eyes. Maybe you're not a disciple of Jesus this morning. You've, you've never been joined to Him in baptism. You're, you're not walking through this life as a Christian. And you need to hear what we're about to read. Maybe you're a very young disciple and you're on the doorstep of a really exciting summer. Your last summer at home for a little while and you're anticipating on going away to school. These next few statements that we're going to read are really, really important. The sort of thing that you need to carry with you. Maybe you've just started a, a new home of your own or a young family. Listen, you're going to hear a lot of things this week. But nothing more important than Jesus' clarification of the things of man versus the things of God. Maybe you've been walking through life as a disciple of Jesus for a good long time. And, and sometimes you, you wonder whether or not you really grasp it. Or you could use a little bit of God-given fuel. How would Jesus clarify for us the things of man versus the things of God? Well, he would begin by talking about self. Himself and your self. And it would all really revolve around a, a pretty fundamental question. Are you gratifying yourself or denying yourself? Is your mind set on gratifying yourself? In, in the midst of a world all the way down to our modern culture today that very much gratifies, puts a whole lot of priority, in fact, the, the greatest priority of all on self. We live today in the 21st century where 
all sorts of really important words are attached to self. And so you listen this week and you will hear people talk about self-identity and self-fulfillment and self-determination. I need to figure out who I am, determine what I want what I believe would be the most fulfilling way of presenting myself to the world and functioning in the world and having other people recognize me in the world. And once I find my authentic self, now I'm on the pathway to real freedom and fulfillment. You want to know the word that Jesus put beside self? It's really different from all of that. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 as he begins to give us a little bit more information. This things of man versus the things of the world. He just comes right out in verse 24 and says, If anyone would come after me, let him... Deny himself. In a world where so many are so consumed, we'll be this week on identifying self and fulfilling self and determining self and inventing self and making self and finding self and branding self so that other people look at myself and and really just remark about how special my crafted branded self really is Jesus says no 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 the things of God begin with denying self I'm calling you to leave the identity to God and the fulfillment to God and the determination to God. You deny yourself. This is an exciting month in the the life of our church family. We've got multiple weddings scheduled. We have a, a number of newlyweds in our church family and some who are, are making great and exciting plans for the future. And there's a lot of focus on, well, how, how are... How does love really work within a marriage? I mean, for, for a while it came as pretty naturally, pretty, pretty easy, but then we begin building this new life together and suddenly we find maybe it's not as natural, as, as easy as it appeared or seemed when, when we were dating. And so we live in a world where we hear about love languages. And I, I want you to hear me loud and clear. That there's value in learning about the way that your spouse interprets and receives and, and desires to be loved. We hear from best-selling books about gift-giving and quality time and words of affirmation. But young couple, perhaps older couple, could I, could I challenge you to recognize what the greatest love language of all is? 
It's not waiting for that other person to figure out what I want because I'm the biggest person in my life and everything, including my marriage and my home, revolves around me. The greatest love language of all is to deny self and choose to put others ahead of myself. Okay, well, I, I, I hear that, but to what degree are we talking about here? And Jesus brings up the cross. All right, well, that, that's not exactly where maybe I thought that was going to go, but, well, what are we talking about? The cross, is it someone else's? Is it just a, a symbol that I see in, in the world around me? Is it a, a decoration that means a whole lot to some people? Is it someone else's cross to be studied from afar? Or is there one with my name on it? You return with me to Matthew 16 and verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Well, this sounds serious. I, I, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure it would be worth putting self to death. And then Jesus brings up himself. And in a very real sense, on this first day of the week, we, we, we come all over again with fresh eyes and a, a, a fresh heart to this fundamental question. Well, who is he? Is he a remarkable historical figure? Is he just a, a, an incredible teacher? Is he a, a miracle worker that did amazing things but lived a, a long time ago? Is he one of many, many, many suggested and credible ways of trying to figure out why I'm here and what life is all about and, and, and where I'm going? Or is he the living Savior? Did he accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish? A few verses before in Matthew 16. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to come out of the grave. And if he came out of the grave... No more of this, well, one of many equally valid ways. He is the only incredible teacher, the only miracle worker who went into the grave and came out of the grave. And he says things like, I am the way. No one comes to the Creator except through me And so it's not a coincidence that in Matthew 16, verse 24, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, that's going to cost, isn't it? 
that, that's going to involve a little bit more than showing up at an assembly of worship on, on Sunday morning. That's the stuff of life. And Jesus says, absolutely, it is. But let's talk for a moment. He encourages, uh, encourages us to ask, whose life is that? On what is it going to be spent? Is it centered on me? Is it all about me? Is it as so many in our modern culture would say, well, this is my life and it's my choice. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with my life. After all, if I get to decide who I am, how I'm going to identify in the world, how I want to be fulfilled, how I expect to be served, if, if self is all about gratifying me, then of course life is centered on me. Of course it's all about me. Of course it is all my choice. But Jesus, in verse 25, says... Whoever would save his life. You spend a little bit of time, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, 110 years, let's say, living a life centered on you, all about you. My life, my choice is my motto. Well, in a sense, you save your life for a really little while. And then you stand before the God who gave you that life. And you answer for how you spent that life. And so he says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his own self, his life. In other words, sacrifices his life. Determines, I'm going to put God before me. I'm going to put others before me. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow the one who blazed this trail. What if I decide I'm not interested in doing that? You know, it, Jesus is okay coming and looking at and singing about for a little while on Sunday mornings, but I'm not sure... I'm all in to this degree. Well, Jesus, before we go, says, we need to talk about your soul. How much is it worth? Well, someone would say, I, I don't have one. But that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, uh, these heavy spring rains can blow through and, and you can have that pump down in your basement that has faithfully pumped water outside from under your foundation for a long, 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 long time and suddenly it stops working. And you can say, you know what? I'm just not in the mood to think about my sump pump. I'm going to act like I don't have one. It's not going to keep the spring rains from flowing into your basement. Well, I can say it doesn't matter. But you see, my soul wasn't my idea. I didn't buy it on Amazon. I didn't download it from an app store. It was given to me. And I can say that I'll worry about it later on, but you know just as surely as I know 
I don't have as much time to defer as often I think that I do. And so Jesus in verse 26 of Matthew 16 just straightforwardly asks, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and leaves it all behind in death and forfeits his soul? You see, I could gain the whole world, but whatever it is that I've gained, whatever it is that I have in my portfolio, whatever I have locked away in a locks box, whatever it is, there's going to come a time that I leave it all behind. And the only thing that I carry with me before the God who blessed me with time and opportunity is my soul, the soul that He gave me. And in that moment... What will I have to give in return for the soul that chose not to do what it was created to do? Glorify the Creator. You see, Jesus is is pushing us in the direction of accountability. How seriously am I going to take it. Well, I I can hear all of this, I can walk away, and I can say, nope, I buy more into what a whole lot of people in the world around me will say with their mouths, with their pens, their keyboards, by their, their actions this week. There is no truth Nothing objective that that we all need to submit ourselves to. There is no authority. We're just here for a little while and we make the most of it and then we cease to exist. There is no judge on the other side of death. But you see, there's a reason this follows that great confession in Matthew 16. Because if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God who gave me my soul, then none of that is true. And Jesus is. And Jesus is the authority. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is my judge. And he couldn't have made it more clear. In Matthew 16, verse 27, 4, the Son of Man is going to come. He's going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. And last word from this passage. He points us to the reality of a kingdom. And it forces us, even 2,000 years later, to evaluate, okay, of, of whose am I a part? He says in Matthew 16 and verse 28, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death. 
There were men, women standing right there among the disciples of Jesus. Jesus looks them in the eye and says, I'm promising you, you're not going to taste death. You're not going to experience death until you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, before we're done, I need you to open your Bible one more place to Colossians chapter 1. Near the end of your Bible, Colossians chapter 1. And I want to show you how the New Testament builds on these fundamental ideas and gives us the therefore. Okay, what's it look like in real, ordinary, everyday life? Let's lean on the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 1. You begin reading with me in verse 9. Colossians 1 verse 9. And so from the day we heard, Paul and Timothy and fellow teachers of the gospel, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk. We're talking about a way of life in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. His prayer in verse 11 is, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. I want you to listen especially to verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, between Matthew 16, Jesus promising, some of you standing here are going to see the establishment of my kingdom. To Colossians chapter 1, the kingdom was a reality. There were people, real life men and women who were a part of that kingdom. Okay, well what does that mean? Look at the next chapter, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. How in the world did ordinary people come to be a part of this kingdom? Verse 12 of Colossians 2, they were buried with him, with Christ, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead, self was an absolute mess. Jesus had been ignored. The cross was just somebody else's maybe to pay attention to for a little while from afar. Life was all about me. I wasn't paying attention to my soul. I didn't care about accountability. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I was in the domain of darkness. And the Holy Spirit leads Paul to say, that leads to death. You were dead, verse 13, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But when you believed, when you were willing to put Jesus ahead of yourself, when you were willing to put the old man or woman of self to death, 
and bury that sinful self in baptism so that you could be raised, God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven you all of your trespasses. What now? Last passage. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. Not on things that are on the earth. You see, this is... It couldn't get any simpler. Things of man and things of God. When my mind is set on the things of man, I gratify myself. The cross is history. Jesus is just another remarkable person. Life is spent on me. I neglect my soul. I ignore accountability. Your creator is calling you to a different way. Set your mind on the things of God. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live for him. I am joyfully anticipating the return of my King. Things of man versus the things of God. What difference does it make? Either way, sin kills us. You've died in sin. My question for you this morning is, are you going to leave control with sin and Satan? Or are you going to listen to Jesus and put that sin to death and have your life hidden with Christ in God? Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We're going to stand and sing this song about Jesus' gentle voice that we have heard in Matthew chapter 16 this morning. And if you need to respond to that gentle voice of a Savior, the way, the truth, the life, who loved you enough to give himself for you so that you could turn away from what is destroying you, and turn to the author of life. If we can help you make that turn this morning, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front of this room while we stand and sing together?